It's Friday. That means live Q&A. Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, the show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, insight, education, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now, while also working toward your plans for financial freedom, hopefully in 10 years or less. My name is Joshua. I am your host. I am your advisor, and I am your fellow financial freedom philosopher. Wait, fellow financial freedom fighter and friendly financial philosopher. <laughs> that, was the, that was what I worked out for myself. <laughs> On Fridays here at Radical Personal Finance, whenever I can arrange the technology, the details, I try to do a live Q&A. I love doing these shows, and I know that many of you enjoy listening to them because they allow us to cover a diverse array of topics in a quick and easy way and have useful, productive conversations. If there's a question or a topic that you would like to discuss with me, your very safest way to get uh, that done is going to either be, of course, to book a personal consulting call. If you want to pay uh, a good bit of money for that, you can do that anytime you want. I take personal consulting calls booked at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash phone call or to join as a patron of the show and gain access to these Friday Q&A calls. And depending on the week, uh, we have anywhere from a handful to more than a handful of callers, but there's plenty of time for us to interact around your specific question. If you'd like to join the, sh- the show as a supporter, go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Again, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Sign up to support the show there, and you will have access to the Q&A call information for next week. And you can join in with your question. We begin with Drew in Kansas City. Drew, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. How can I serve you today? Hey, good afternoon, Joshua. Um, I have a question for my sister, actually, who uh, rents her house out on the weekends through Airbnb. Uh, It's actually more successful than she thought she would be. She's grossing over $1,000 monthly. So with three months in, she's really starting to look at the uh, tax implications uh, on renting out her entire house on the weekends. If she could should start tracking everything from cleaning supplies, bed sheets, furniture, utility bills, or even part of her uh, mortgage, if that'd be applicable. What kind of property is she renting it out? Uh, is she renting out? It's, it's a single family house. Okay. So the good news is with tax questions, it's relatively straightforward to answer. One of the things about the IRS, is that IRS tax laws really make sense. Once you understand the underlying doctrine, the underlying approach, they make sense. And in this case, uh, the laws are going to be governing the running of this like a business. Now, there's a slight difference. I would guess that some Airbnb units would be reported as uh, rental income. Some would be reported as businesses, depending on how you're actually running it. Uh, From past web wanderings and web discussions on this topic, I think some people make a distinction between if you're running it like a hotel business or if you're running it like a a real estate business. I don't know the specifics of that uh, off the top of my head, so you'll have to research that a little bit more. But the good news is that businesses, whether they're real estate or businesses like a hotel business, make sense. And the rule is simple. You take all of the income, you deduct all of the expenses, and that's your profit. And it is perfectly adequate and legal to deduct every single expense that's associated with the business 
and you should ignore every expense that's not associated with the business. So the way that she should approach it is to think as comprehensively as she possibly can about everything that's related to the business. That will start with uh, what percentage of her house is she renting out? She's, you said she's renting out the whole house on the weekends when she can go away. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So in that case, then um, she's not going to be able to rent out. She's not renting out one room every night of the month. She would be renting out the whole house for a certain number of nights of the month. So she would start by looking at that and figuring out how many days per month. Let's say that the house is rented out 20% of the days per month. So in this context, some of the expenses associated with those 20% of the days would now be eligible to apply as business deductions. So if her mortgage payment is $1,000 a month and she's uh, – or and she's thinking about depreciation versus, uh, okay, let's just keep it simple. Let's just say her mortgage payment is $1,000 a month, but she's renting it out for 20% of the time, then chances are 20% of that mortgage expense is going to be associated with uh, the rental income. And so she can use that as a deduction. If her homeowner's insurance is uh, $200 a month and 20% of the nights she is renting the property out, then 20% of that $200 a month will start to be deductible as an expense for her. So if you have an ex- any expenses associated with the house that is related to the whole house, she can start to deduct a part of those expenses based upon the usage of the actual property. The percentage of times it's being amount of time it's being used for uh, usage. If there's anything that can be specifically applied to the actual tenants, so an example would be if she had to get uh, a higher, a more expensive type of insurance in order to cover her liability protection from tenants. Well, 100% of that cost would then be deductible against her income. Or if she didn't previously have cable TV in the property, but she went ahead and brought cable TV into the property in order to serve the tenants, then now that would be a deductible expense. And so things like sheets, things things like cleaning supplies, fees and expenses like hiring the cleaner, uh, if she's not doing that herself, all of those things now become a part of the business expenses. So what I recommend to her is think through everything possible that's associated with the business, including anything that helps her to be productive in the business. So a simple example would be her cell phone. Uh, She's going at this point in time, she'll be booking her clients throughout the week. So now her cell phone becomes, because it's being used all the time for business, her cell phone now becomes uh, a legitimate business deduction for her personal enterprise. And so anything associated with running the business is a deductible expense. If she just simply applies that simple practice to whatever question she has, she will be able to answer her own questions as far as what is deductible and what's not. That's uh, perfect. I did not know that. That's a great way of uh, framing it to apply for all the little things and big things associated with the house. Taxes make sense. Once if you, you, we, we can argue about the underlying doctrines, 
but for the as far as that's a political discussion, that's a, an ideological or a philosophical discussion. We can discuss the rightness and wrongness of uh, of the ideology that leads to taxes. But at least in the United States, I have in all of my years of looking at taxes, there's not really anything in the tax code that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, the, the doctrines are generally applied in an equitable way. So with businesses, it's simple. Now, just practically for her, what I would is your sister very organized financially with numbers? Uh, yes. Good. So in that case, what she should do is just use all of her expenses and track all of her expenses for the year. But she needs to be careful to maintain a log of what she's doing. And there are a few things that would be good to do to help her to be more protected from her uh, uh, in, in terms of the necessity if she ever were audited or if she were ever wound up wound up in trouble. First, she should keep a journal of the property. So she should keep a separate journal uh, with calendar entries notating when the property is occupied and when it's not. She should carefully note that information uh, so that she can maintain accurate records of the percentage of use uh, that it's actually being rented out. My guess would be, I'm thinking about it. Well, so she should keep a journal. Uh, One of the rules with business property is you always want to keep a journal associated with it. So let's say that you have a car and you drive that car sometimes for business and sometimes for personal use. Well, you want to keep a journal with in the car. You take note of the mileage. You take note of where you're driving and what you're doing. If you have a piece of business property that's used for business primarily but partly for personal, you keep a journal to make sure that we note that it's used for business property. Uh, You keep, if you have a rental property, keep the Journal, keep a journal and just keep those records so you can demonstrate, yes, I'm actually um, keeping track of the number of days that it's used. And by, when I say journal, I mean something very simple, like a calendar, a paper calendar uh, with an entry each day. Is it rented or is it not rented? And she should uh, seek to take advantage of anything she could do that would add in an extra day. So Friday to Monday, as an example of when she vacates the property, would pick up and turn... Um, her number of tax-deductible days into four days. If she leaves on Friday evening, instead of leaving on Saturday morning, that picks up an extra day as far as the use, which will make a difference of her being able to deduct more expenses. Second, she needs to keep receipts and paperwork and develop a simple system to keep those things organized. So she should use a simple accounting software to easily collate the specific deductions for the property, and she should also... Uh, look at it and use uh, th- uh, use a, a filing system of some kind so she can keep the actual paperwork and the receipts. And she needs to think and, and study just a little bit about the types of things that could be deductible. So in, in this case, if she is running this, again, I mentioned a cell phone, but chances are she may need to use a computer and have a business computer. It may be now that she could turn uh, her office into a home office if she has a separate piece of her, part of her property that's used for her business pursuits, etc. Now, there are a lot of little things like that that can be done, and if you'll journal them carefully, it'll, all of those can be used to track the expenses that are associated with this business to lower her taxable income. So good records are the key, uh, but it, but practically, if she just thinks about it, and says, is this associated with my uh, business? If so, uh, it's deductible. Anything else, Drew? Any follow-up questions? Uh, 
Dolly followed up a question that, hey, uh, her Airbnb is in Oklahoma City, and we live in Kansas City, so if you're in, if you and your family are coming through, we'd love to see you at either place. Thank you. So that's it. <laughs> Appreciate it, Joshua. We do intend to move uh, move through Kansas City. I have some friends near Kansas that we definitely want to visit when we are out traveling. So keep an ear out for my whatever methods of communication I wind up choosing to communicate, and we will uh, we will share that information with you. Chuck All in right. Tennessee, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. How can I serve you today? sir my question is on the property also um, in 2011 whenever the market was down we had to relocate for employment and uh, we were so we became involuntary landlords like a lot of people around that time and we're in the process now we have a contract on we're selling that home um, we bought it for about three hundred and five thousand, and probably put twenty thousand into it and because of renters not taking care of property, uh, the sale price is going to be around two seventy. Um, so my question is, it, and we paid down quickly enough on the house, so we're getting thirty thousand dollars in at closing. So we we do have some equity in uh, in the home. I was my question is, is there any tax implications or things I need to be thinking about as we get that money at closing? One quick note on the previous question, uh, a listener in the chat on the show put in a guide for a NOLO guide on a tax guide for short-term rentals. And so for the previous caller, Drew, send that to your sister. NOLO is fantastic in um, uh, NOLO is fantastic in their resources. And so they have a tax guide for short-term rentals. That would be the book to buy uh, and it'll have all the information on deductibility. Sorry to do that to you, Chuck. I didn't want to forget uh, about that. So if you have a total invested in the property of $305,000 plus $20,000 of uh, additional cost, and you're going to be selling it for $270,000, then you're going to have a loss, right? Is my math right there? Yes, sir. So your question is about uh, if there are going to be any tax implications. Uh, I would say no. Uh, the only tax implications would be if it's deductible as a long-term capital loss. And if there's a way that you can then use this loss uh, to offset some of your other income. How long did you live in the property and how long have you been landlords? Uh, we lived in the property... I believe three years and we've been out now to be six years. So um, I know what you're referencing. I think there's like, a, there's a five year rule about how long you've been out. And it, we did list it in taxes as an investment property as we've been doing our taxes the last um, four or five years. Yeah. So I think it's going to be simple because the five year rule relates to your ability to avoid paying any income tax on a gain uh, because you've been a resident of it. But in this case, if it's been a rental property for you for the past six years, then I would say you're going to be in good shape for, uh, it's just gonna be a loss for you. So I would say, I think the key is that you wanna look through your records, you wanna figure out what your actual uh, basis is in the property. Uh, figure out which, and to, to, to figure that out, you need to look at your purchase price, your purchase expenses, put those records together as best you can. Look at how much of the cost that you have incurred on the property is related to the actual um, uh, 
you know, improvements to the property and use that to calculate your adjusted basis. Um, you won't be able to use your expenses on the property as part of your adjusted basis. You'll only be able to use the improvements uh, to, the, to the property. So you would have already expensed your uh, repair costs or, or things like that. As on your annu- if you listed an, as an investment property, you would have already expend- made those expenses uh, as deductions just simply for expenses. But figure out what your adjusted basis is, how much you have in it that you haven't expensed. And in this case, if you have the, let's just say you found out that it was $325,000 and you sell for $270,000 after after selling expenses, then in this case, you have a $55,000 loss, which you'll then take as an offset against your other uh, investment activities and or against your income. Make sense? Yes, sir. That, that sounds good. That answers my question. I'd... Uh... I had some of those thoughts, but I wanted to get some reinforcement on. I was thinking of everything correctly. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Any follow-up questions or anything else? Is that enough for today? I think that's enough for today. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. All right. Go on to Matthew in Tennessee. Matthew, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. How can I serve you today? Uh, good afternoon, Joshua. Thank you for taking my call today. Um, so, so you've told me uh, many times to you know in the podcast to to start creating content and to stop chasing an influencer and start being one. So, and one of those ways is by starting a podcast. So my question today is actually concerning scheduling an interview with a podcast guest. How would you coach me through setting up a podcast interview with an influencer? What are the practical steps of actually reaching out? Do I email them? And also like, do I send them questions beforehand or do both people just kind of show up with a central theme and go from there? Like, how would you coach me in this? And in terms of like being able to connect, with somebody to, um, to, you know, to essentially interview them on my podcast. Is your website and platform already public or are you in a pre-launch stage? Uh, yes, it's already published and launched. So in that case, it's relatively simple. Um, and basically it just comes down to normal practical interaction among people to say, how can we actually do this? Uh, in my experience, the here are the tools of people who have approached me. Generally, you will need to first assess whether the you'll need to first assess whether the person is a big fish or not. Uh, if they're a big fish, then of course the process is going to be different. If you want to interview President Trump on your podcast, that'll be different than interviewing your next door neighbor in terms of the scheduling process. Uh, you might be able to get President Trump, but there's going to be a whole bigger process to go through. So if they're a big fish, then you will need to demonstrate that your platform is worth the time uh, and worth their you know, their effort, because they're going to have a lot of requests. And so you need to stand out. It's just a matter of thinking about what's in it for this particular guest. A guest is not into giving interviews for their own fun. They're giving into giving interviews to spread their message, to build their brand, to build their business or something related to that. So if someone is bigger, then you'll, your note will need to lead with, hey, here are the benefits for you. I have a show that has this size. I have a show that reaches these things, etc. Now, it's if your show is not yet large or if your platform is not yet large, it's probably best to be relatively circumspect about the size of the effort uh, and just simply to focus on uh, 
the fact that you're inviting them because it's an honor for any guest that you do invite on your show to appear. And so in my experience dealing with people, the best thing these days is to be short and to the point with an email of no more than about two sentences. Two to three sentences becomes the max for those of us who receive lots of emails. I am hopelessly overwhelmed by emails, and if it's not two or three sentences, it's just hard. I mean the best. I want to do it, but it's just really hard. And so people, either their staff or they themselves, are basically constantly filtering, and the shorter your question, uh, the better. So I would do it Basically, just like this, uh, I would say to them, I have a uh, podcast that is devoted to this topic. I'd love to interview you because you're an expert on this, and specifically, I want to find out about subject A because that relates perfectly to my topic. Are you willing to come on my show? Something like that is ideal, where you're explaining what you're doing, why you're asking, and Uh, what specifically you want to talk to them about. For most people, especially if they're active in media, that's sufficient. Uh, Now, for somebody who doesn't do a lot of media interviews, they would probably have more questions. But for most people who are active in media, that's enough to get things started. If they're very busy, they'll respond back and they'll say, well, I'm willing to do it, but here are the things I need to change or here are the requirements that I have or could we talk a little bit more? But most speakers and most people who are are at a level at which you're probably interested in bringing them, them on your podcast are used to speaking extemporaneously. They don't need a whole lot of preparation. And as long as you make it easy for them, then you're good to go. So the actual process of scheduling, you need to figure out your technology, how you're actually going to do it. The very simple ways without getting into podcast technology are going to be for you to use uh, a simple voice over IP communication methodology such as Skype. That's usually the standard, uh, but there are many others that you can choose or just simply to set it up so that you can call them on a phone line. And there are many technological ways you can do that. There are other good applications for getting a higher quality recording, but I don't want to turn this show into uh, techno techno babble on those particular <laughs> on those particular things. Uh, but most people, if you just tell them the subject and you uh, arrange the time, it would be good to go. Now, in terms of how to actually, what questions you want them to have, that'll largely come down to you. Uh, do you want to prepare for them the list of 10 questions that you're going to discuss with them, or do you want to speak to them extemporaneously? It is helpful, I think, if you clarify the question so that they can think through some useful ideas in advance. I'm generally able to come up and be a better guest if I have a little bit of an advance notice of the area that I can focus on for an interview. But don't make it overwhelming. Uh, no, you're never going to get through 20 or 30 questions, so perhaps 5 to 10 is ideal. Uh, and use it in what I would always say is recognize the value of a podcast interview is partly for you to build your brand and, and to build your uh, platform. And that is of extreme importance. But part of it is for you to build your network and to interact with somebody whose ideas you're genuinely interested in learning about. If you do it that way, make sure to schedule a little bit of time to speak with them at the beginning and on the end uh, about anything personal as well. So don't think entirely myopically about the interview itself. Also think about how you can help and serve them uh, and also think about 
uh, any personal connection or interaction that you'd like to have. Any follow-up questions, Matthew, or is that enough to get you started? No, that's enough to get me started. Thank you very much, Joshua. I do think that a good interview is probably one of the most valuable strategies uh, really ever done. And I think this has always been available. It feels like it's more popular now with the proliferation of podcasts. But I think that many people have used this as their personal strategy to improve their network for, well, for decades. If you're writing a story on somebody, or if you're researching a specific topic, or if you are focusing on you know, learning about something that you care about, going out with a notebook and a pen to interview somebody is an entirely valid way for you to get in front of somebody that you'd like to meet. And I recommend it. I've recommended it for um, many years uh, to many people. Podcasting has a unique flavor in that it allows you to profile somebody that you're interested in interacting with in a way that you can't do just simply with a written interview, meaning if you're writing a story about them. So podcasting is really neat. And podcasting I think is a superior way to do this over video because technologically it's much simpler. But in terms of building your career, for any listener, I would strongly recommend that you build a platform related to your area of interest and related to your career. So what that looks like is you should maintain a website that's related to your work or to your area of interest. And on that website, you should curate content, you should curate articles, links, discussions, write your own essays, book reviews, etc., and interview experts on the topics that you're interested in. And if you are trying to reach somebody really high, it's relatively simple. Let's say that you were trying to get, uh, well, you know, President Trump is probably a bad idea, example, but let's say that you're trying to uh, come to the attention of somebody who is on your uh, list as a, as a big shot, a total big shot in your industry. It's very simple and very easy. Buy all of their books, read their books, write careful book reviews, and write essays about the ideas that they present. If you agree with them, state how you agree and why. If you disagree with them, state how you disagree and why. Most people have a Google alert set up for their name, especially most people who would be in a place of prominence. And so if you're writing about somebody on the internet, there's a good chance they're going to become aware of that. And they'll be looking to see, well, what's working and what's not. And especially in today's world where most public professionals will maintain a, uh, a public profile, public Twitter profile, you can easily write a review. And in your review, put down that you are working your way through the 10 books written by you know, Mr. Big Shot and systematically work your way through those books and your series of articles, reviewing those books, reviewing the key ideas. And as you publish your articles, copy them on Twitter and at, at them on Twitter, they'll see it. Uh, they'll generally see it. Most people will look at things. And especially if you're doing good work, even if you're critical, if you're really engaging with their ideas and with their content, then you'll be able to, to bring yourself onto their radar screen. 
And then you can use that strategy and parlay that into an additional interview. So let's say that I were starting today and I wanted to be an expert in, uh, I don't know a subject to use, but I wanted to be an expert in a certain subject. And I had a platform of zero. I had an influence base of zero. I would build the website and I would start putting out the information about that website. And if I'm going after a relationship with Mr. Big Shot, there's a good chance that I'm not going to be able to offer Mr. Big Shot any value by being on my platform in the early days. But if I start to engage with their ideas, then it changes everything. And if you, a year from now, write an email to Mr. Big Shot inviting him to be on your show, and you can say, by the way, I'm a big fan of his work. Here is a link to the the 10 book reviews I've written of the 10 books. Here's a link to four critical essays where I was critical of his ideas here. And here are a link to five essays that I've written about uh, or podcast episodes that I've, that I've done that are really uh, complimentary of his ideas here. Uh, somebody who is a leading business professional, a leading, leading intellectual will find that very refreshing, especially if you've engaged with their content. I observe frequently, I watch a number of public intellectuals, and what I observe is that most public intellectuals are interested in their ideas being interacted with, not in being raised up or diminished just unnecessarily. And so usually what a public intellectual or a public person or a leader of some kind, whether that's your local mayor, a local business leader, et cetera, by the time somebody has come to a place of prominence, their skin has thickened to the point where they don't mind a little bit of criticism, but they're looking to see the idea behind it, what's actually happening. And so you can use your platform to demonstrate that you're a thoughtful and serious person interacting with their ideas. And if they're connected to your particular area of expertise, the career that you're building, or to your area of focus in, in terms of your research, that will provide for you a really high-quality resume and will make them very likely to uh, come to uh, make you very likely uh, to to stand out uh, among the noise. And there's a good chance that if you're a serious fan of somebody uh, and they're a big shot, even if you have a very small platform or a non-existent platform, if you've demonstrated that you're serious with ideas, you're serious in your thoughtfulness, uh, and you're, you you really want to interact with them, and you've done that in writing then there's a good chance you'll be able to bring them in to your uh, particular area of focus. Now, in this case, text is superior because text can be scanned. Uh, it would be, I think, short-sighted to, to create 10 podcasts all about somebody's work because there is zero chance that that person would ever do anything other than listen to the first two minutes of your podcast. But you can write 10 articles about somebody's work, and they'll quickly skim three or four of them to make sure they've got the gist of it, and then they would likely agree to be on your show. This is a strategy that anybody can use, and I'll go a little bit further with just a couple more pieces of advice before I hit the music. When you're interacting with um, VIPs, with people who are public or who are influential or et cetera. Here's what I have learned. People who are publicly influential frequently try to keep themselves somewhat available. You'll notice that most people who speak at a conference are going to stay around for a few minutes and as long as they can spare to interact with people. You'll notice that when somebody is appearing at a public event, they'll stay around for a few minutes uh, to interact with people. People who are publicly prominent, whether it's 
again, the mayor of your local town, the superintendent of the school board, etc., they know they have a responsibility to their constituents to be available. You can't be a leader and not be somewhat available. Now, there is a point of excess, and so most celebrities will not uh, give themselves to a place of excess, but people who are publicly prominent make their living and their 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 trade is is by their customers and by their fans, and so they make themselves available. The very best strategy that I know of to bring yourself to somebody's attention is to interact with their work first. Ask a thoughtful question of them and ask them for a specific piece of advice. Anytime that I have interacted with a listener of my show in public where they have asked a thoughtful question that demonstrated to me that they were aware of some of the unique things I talk about, and asked for a specific piece of advice, I always notice that person. And I've used this strategy myself in interacting with, with prominent people. But the key is, when somebody gives you advice, actually act on it. Take their advice. If somebody recommends a book for you, get it and read it. And then write them a note saying, I read that book. Here was what I thought of it. What do you think would be the next thing to do? Uh, what I think most people of prominence have learned is that almost nobody wants to actually do what they say. People of prominence will frequently give advice after advice after advice after advice. And so there is uh, these people, when, when people don't take action, they just kind of say, well, that's normal. But when somebody takes action on something they say, they immediately, they immediately start paying attention to them. I'll give you an example. I have a, a fan of this show and a listener to this show. His name is Zachary. And Zach originally wrote me an email. And he said, Joshua, I'm a young man. I think he was 13 years old when he first wrote his email to me. He said, I'm a young man. And he asked me, started to ask me questions uh, about, um, uh, I can't remember what, advice, advice for him. I recorded an episode of the show for him. I think it was what I would give, what advice I would give to a 13-year-old um, specifically. Well, what was interesting about Zachary is that, uh, or Zach, sorry, he goes by Zach. What was interesting about Zach, I never go by Josh, so I always extend people's names. I go by Joshua, not Josh. So I automatically have this um, tendency to extend people's names, uh, do what I do myself with my own name. Uh, the interesting thing about Zach is that he listened to the show, and then he wrote me back and gave me feedback on it. And then he started to actually implement the ideas. Uh, he has gone on. He's gone on to ask me other questions. He's, he's called into the show. I've never recorded other shows throughout the history of Radical Personal Finance about it. He went on. He started a website. He now has a website, uh, which is um, a website that is devoted to his journey. He's working to finish his undergraduate degree uh, by the time he graduates, uh, by the time he's 18 years old. Uh, so I, I kind of turned him on to some of those ideas, and he's working his way through that. Uh, Zach and his family came to Florida. They came to my home. Uh, we hosted them for dinner, enjoyed interacting with him and with his parents, and I built a relationship with him. He follows uh, all of my things on social media. He frequently likes and retweets my content, and so I've, I, I always pay attention to him. And from time to time, whenever he, uh, I don't follow him or really anyone on social media, but I, whenever I see him frequently, I'll go over and I'll look and I'll say, oh, what's Zach writing about? And I have an interest in him. And I've coached people and had people do this again and again with very public people. I'm, I'm not a big shot. I don't think of myself as a big shot. I don't really even want to be a big shot. But there are people who are legitimately big shots and I've seen them do it again and again and again and again. 
And most people who are big shots, most people who are prominent, they want to see an impact of their message. When a preacher preaches, they don't preach just to make themselves feel good. They want to preach so that somebody will change and somebody will do. When a teacher teaches, they're not teaching just to make themselves feel good. They want to teach so that somebody will do. When a business leader is leading, they're leading in a way that they want to make an impact. And everybody, we all know that we've got to pass along to another generation, another generation of disciples and, and younger people. We've got to pass along what we do well. And so the very best way to bring yourself to somebody's attention, somebody who's important, is to be a good student, be a good disciple, be a good learner. And you don't even have to do this. You don't have to agree with somebody. But if you're fair in your approach, and of course the range here is huge, but if you're, even if you're critical of somebody, if you're fair in your approach and you're fair in your critiques, that person will pay attention to you. Now, they may combat you, <laughs> but you might help them to improve. So I commend that to you. Use the story of Zach. I'm telling you about Zach. I'm telling you his story because he set himself apart by actually doing something. I think if memory is right, I've only ever emailed Zach once or twice because I... I'm not good at responding, but he still writes to me. He writes to me and he tells me, hey, here's what I'm doing. He keeps me aware of what's going on. And you can do that in your business. You can do that in your career. You can do that in your studies. You can learn your way systematically into a place of prominence. And and really any person that you wanted to have a relationship with, I think you could do it. Now, there may be some exceptions to that, somebody, but, but I really, you know, I don't think some, some things may take more time than others, but I think there are very few, very few exceptions to this. If you will study somebody or study their work or interact with them and you'll do it consistently, especially if they have published materials, a little bit hard if it's just your, your, a local person um, who doesn't have any published material, but if but in that case, you don't really need to break through. All you need to do is ask good questions. Uh, but you can learn your way into relationships. And it's never been easier than it is now. Here's why I have no fear of sharing these strategies with you. I'm sharing with you things that I have done in the past, am doing and will continue to do for my own benefit. But I have no fear of sharing them with you. You know why? Because you won't do them. You won't do them. You'll know about them and you'll hear about them, but you won't actually do the hard work. Now, some people do, and it could be you <laughs> if you choose. It could be you who would do something, but I know, and everyone knows, most people won't do things. I used to think that ideas needed to be protected and guarded. I've become convinced that they really don't. Because nobody actually does anything with most ideas. It's all about execution. I used to think that my ideas were great. And I've learned that, no, they're really okay. And the key is execution. <laughs> so most people don't do anything with them. But here's the cool thing about execution. It's your choice. You can choose to do something. I laid out a strategy that works. You can judge it if you think it's good or not. And then you can choose to do it or not. And that is your choice. So I challenge you, do something with it. Anyway, 
Thank you for listening to today's show. Thank you for listening to the Q&A show. If you'd like to be on this show next week, come by RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Sign up to support the show. RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. I would love to talk with you next week. 